From Miami Law, I'm Aned Uges, and this is The Explainer. Now, the rather clumsy allegations of DeSantis, who claims that they are better off because they are in Martha's Vineyard, this is in a wealthy, primarily white neighborhood, is are insulting. Um, behind that comment, there is an underlying racism that presupposes that being in a predominantly white affluent neighborhood is better than being in a predominantly black or brown neighborhood. Welcome to season nine of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Republican governors hoping to score political points are sending waves of migrants to progressive enclaves. Pablo Rueda Saiz examines the larger issues at play. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Pablo. Thanks for coming. Good morning, Catherine. So the governors of Arizona, Texas, and Florida are using migrants as uh, political pawns, I guess, shipping them to places like Vice President Kamala Harris's house in Washington or to Martha's Vineyards. So let's just start with how is this problematic? Well, there are multiple ways in which one can analyze this phenomenon. Um, from the standpoint of moral philosophy, for example, any political system that recognizes the dignity of human beings should consider them as ends in themselves and not as means in a political game. More so if you consider two different aspects. The first one is that leaving one's country, regardless of the conditions, is not easy. I know that. I'm an immigrant to this country. But those difficulties are extreme in the case of Venezuelan, Haitian, Nicaraguan, Colombian, and Cuban asylum seekers. Um, these people know political violence firsthand, and they expect to have better treatment here in the United States. But it is hard to come to a country where there are not where they are not citizens, and thus they're treated as outsiders, where they do not speak the language, where they do not share the customs and do not understand the system. Nobody explains to you how things works in this country when you arrive, and things are so different, it's sometimes exasperating. Making people in this situation pawns of a political game is simply abusing political power. The second aspect is that these are migrants. These migrants do not have anything to gain from the larger political game that the governors are playing. They are not citizens, so they cannot vote, and therefore they have no interest in the outcome of the political game, whether it be for gubernatorial elections or for the presidency. They are, to put it simply, being used as pawns, as you said, with no agency, with nothing, absolutely nothing to gain from this. Now, the rather clumsy allegations of DeSantis, who claims that they are better off because they are in Martha's Vineyard, this is in a wealthy, primarily white neighborhood, is are insulting. Um, behind that comment, there is an underlying racism that presupposes that being in a predominantly white affluent neighborhood is better than being in a predominantly black or brown neighborhood. Now, if this is the case, then why do these governors think that Latinos, Haitians, or other migrant communities prefer arriving at cities where they find other members of their community? So however you look at uh, what DeSantis, Abed, and Ducey have done. The fact is that transporting asylum seekers um, 
and migrants to other parts of the country, uses them at ponds without agency, and violates their dignity as human beings. Now, the other part that I find deeply disturbing is the utter disregard that these three governors have for their Latino constituencies. And this makes me wonder. Here, I take off my Kantian hat and put on my Machiavellian hat. <laughs> these actions are clearly a political move. Part of it may be a symbolic gesture that appeals to a certain part of their constituencies. But there might be something else here as well. Let's talk about the symbolic part of this move first. These, are, these governors are clearly not appealing to their Venezuelan, Colombian, Cuban, or Nicaraguan electorate. Most of these constituencies are actually favor immigration. And even when they don't, it's not the most important issue in their agendas. In fact, this is actually an affront against them. So the governors are not appealing to their Latino constituencies. In taking Latinos and other groups of migrants out of their states, these governors are appealing instead to a different segment of their voters, those that do not want to have more Latinos around. They are appealing to those voters that fear immigration, to those voters that believe that the U.S. is too black, too brown, or too Asian. Now, this is, interest, this is interesting as a political move, because arguably it was precisely Venezuelans, Colombians, Nicaraguans, and Cubans that got them elected. And surely Abbott and Ducey have a similar scenario with Latinos in their states. Now, why are they using Latinos as pawns if they have large Latino electorates and they expect to be re-elected or elected to other positions? It would seem to go against their own political interests. Maybe they also realized that Latinos did not really vote for them, as some political scientists have shown. Maybe those constituencies are not as excited with them, him, in, this, in the case of DeSantis, as the media actually believes. There is research that strongly suggests that Donald Trump did not have such a strong Latinx support in Florida and in Texas and in Arizona. However, there is another uh, different hypothesis, and this one is not appealing to some symbolic politics, but to real politics, which does not exclude what I just said. And this one has to do with the significant changes that have been occurring within the Republican Party. Ever since Reagan, and perhaps even before, there has been a segment within the Republican Party that has been relatively favorable to immigration. Former President Bush and his brother Jeb were moderately in favor of immigration, and we could say the same thing about John McCain, but that segment of the, within the Republican Party is out of power now. And ever since Trump became president, Republicans have unleashed an anti-immigrant sentiment throughout the country, and they instill the fear that this country is being invaded and that its changing demographics had, have triggered its decay. So one of the ways in which they seek to make America great again, this is one of the ways in which they seek to maintain power, is by changing the current demographic trends in key states that they regard as in risk of becoming blue. So either for this or for some other reason, uh, these Republican governors in border states that are either swing states or that are showing shades of blue, feel that they do not need their Latino constituencies in their current political calculations and appeal instead to constituencies who, like them, are fearful of immigration. And they believe that they can get away with it, with these xenophobic policies, because Latinx constituencies will either do nothing 
Or if they actually try to do something, they will fail. And their political calculations are scary. Mm. That's a mouthful. Thank you. Um, let's just focus on the, the Venezuelans uh, that were uh, tricked into being sent to Martha's Vineyard last week. How does that suss out with international uh, law norms? And can you talk a little about the Maduro Venezuelans like that? That's why they're fleeing Venezuela? Yes, that's an excellent question. Now, let's start by identifying who these people are. Once we have identified them, we can know better the kinds of obligations that the government has with them and whether they have violated any international norms. Many of these people, as you mentioned, are asylum seekers. And as such, they have a series of rights under international law. The first one is that they have a right not to be forced back to the countries of expulsion. Uh, by the country that receives them, in this case, the United States. This is known as the right of non-refoulement. Now, I am of the opinion that the right of non-refoulement is breached whenever the receiving country makes asylum conditions so difficult and harsh that asylum seekers are forced to go back. I believe that transporting asylum seekers under false pretenses to places where they feel completely alienated can have this effect. Now, there are also allegations of human trafficking. Here, the most relevant convention or the most relevant international norm is the Palermo Protocol. It's an international treaty, which is an annex to a UN Convention on the Prevention of Organized Crime. And for the purposes of the protocol, the uh, member states to this treaty are basically under an obligation to criminalize certain conducts having to do with human trafficking. And I want to read the definition in what is relevant with respect to what human trafficking is. It says in the definition, um, trafficking in persons shall mean the transportation transfer of persons by means of fraud, deception, of the abuse of power, or a position of vulnerability, or of the giving or receiving of payments or benefits to achieve the consent of a person having control of another person for the purpose of exploitation. Um, now, in this respect, it also says that the consent of a victim of trafficking in persons to the intended exploitation set forth in the previous paragraph of this article shall be irrelevant where any of the means set forth by that paragraph has been used. In other words, the fraud and the deception. Now, um, it also says that the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of a child for the purpose of exploitation shall be considered trafficking in persons, even if this does not involve any means set forth in the paragraph A. In other words, even if there is no deception or fraud, as established in this article. And a child is understood by this convention to mean anyone under the age of 18 years old. And those people that are responsible, should be held responsible, include those that organize or direct other persons to commit an offense established in the in this treaty. Mm, okay. Um, can you compare this stunt um, to other 
country's treatment? I mean, if we saw some other country doing this, would we be at the UN in like two minutes? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people would be complaining. Um, but the fact of the matter is that they're not. We know relatively little about what happens to migrants and asylum seekers in this country. For example, what has happened in the case of the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia? The women that um, were forcibly sterilized. And we don't know if there have been any convictions. I was looking at the media yesterday to see if something had happened, but nothing appears in the media. Mm -hmm. We don't know if the company that ran that ran those lo locations, those internment locations, that was called LaSalle Corrections, if it's still operating. We don't know if the doctor that performed unwanted hysterectomies, Dr. Amin, is still practicing medicine, or if he has been convicted, convicted of for anything. We don't know who gave the orders to forcibly sterilize Latina women, tricking them. We know very little about it. Mm -hmm. And have we seen this kind of, I mean, uh, these migrants are here because of their treatment in, in Venezuela. So what DeSantis is doing is very similar to what Maduro was doing. But are we seeing, are there other examples around the world where this has happened where we like round up a bunch of migrants and move them over here? Not to my knowledge, not. Um, I mean, there have been other cases in Europe where um, in the Mediterranean, they prevent migrants from arriving to Europe. And that has been a crime. And now, um, unfortunately, the Mediterranean is basically a sea of death right now. So, the U.S. is by no means alone in this, um, but the treatment that has been occurring here is is just unexcusable. Mm. All right. Well, anything uh, to add in closing? No. All good. I think I said what I wanted. <laughs> thank you. Well, thanks so much for coming down and talking to us. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. All right. See you around. Thank you for inviting me. Uh -huh. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this season of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's new JSD degree designed for scholars and teachers of law. For more information, visit miami.law.edu.